is Luke 15, 11 through 32. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he had got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Tammy and Sam. As I was preparing the message this morning, that song kept going over and over and over in my heart. And I thought, we'll have Tammy sing it and Sam play. Andy Griffith, The Dick Van Dyke Show, Leave It to Beaver, The Brady Bunch, All in the Family. Remember Archie Bunker? Married with children, who could forget? Drake and Josh are the sweet life of Cody. The Cosby Show. And Modern Family. I don't know if any of those were popular at your house or have been over the last 50 years. 
But in some way, shape, or form, Hollywood has decided to show and mirror and adapt and tell us what the family looks like. In a 30-minute sitcom or in the 80s, there was Dallas. Who could forget J.R. Ewing? Primetime family. In some way, shape, or form, they have reflected the changing ideas of what family is about, the relationships and the composition. Now, I remember that the Brady Bunch in the 70s, believe it or not, was pretty out there. It represented the first representation of a blended family. You remember that story. Even if you've watched it on Nick, Collodian, or, or TV Times, and you remember that tune. It's the story of a lovely lady. You remember that song? Yeah. And there they were. The, 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 whole, the whole series is about these experiences of trying to blend his kids and her kids and a dog and a maid. And they, they talked about some pretty challenging things for the 1970s. Recently, in the past couple of years, ABC has aired Modern Family. And one of the parts of that modern family is a same-sex couple that has a child out there in front of all of us. And I can tell you firsthand what it was like, what's it like to be a pastor of a congregation with a same-sex couple in your church with a child. And a few months, a few years ago, they came to me and said, we want you to baptize her. Not everybody in the church was pleased about that. But Hannah's God's child, no matter who her parents are. It makes me wonder, when we think about this day, which begins in the United Methodist Church, the week of National Family Week, it makes me wonder what church folk think about who is the family. Because we talk sometimes about the church being, we're like a family. Well, what kind of family are we like? Have you ever thought about that? And I wanted to broaden this topic today from Mother's Day and open it up for us to reflect on some of the essentials of family life that are not necessarily presented or discussed in a 30-minute sitcom, neither are they resolved even in an hour's primetime drama. Mr. George just a minute ago read a passage of Scripture, perhaps one of the most famous of all of the New Testament. It is not necessarily the paradigm for family life, but I believe within the context of those verses are some essential truths that this parable holds within it. For instance, right off the bat, if you don't hear anything else today, listen to these two next sentences. Grace and forgiveness are essential for love to flourish. Grace and forgiveness are essential for love to flourish. And repentance paves the way for reconciliation. While the characters in this story that Jesus tells in an audience full of sinners and Pharisees, I don't know who's who today, all the characters are male. But do not let gender be an issue for you in this story. I argue that it's not the issue because there have been times I perhaps 
in your own family journey of life, when you are a member of your family, has felt some alienation and restlessness with the way things are. Haven't you thought that the grass must be greener up in Starkville or over in Alabama or, or down in New Orleans when you were growing up? You long to live free without house rules. Some of us have experienced sibling rivalries that have been painful. Oh, you're so-and-so's sister. Oh, goodness. She was perfect. Or you're so-and-so's brother. Those kinds of things can, can shape us for better or for worse, and they can create some internal stuff that's hard to get over. When I lived in Meridian, my next-door neighbor told me about a story in his life. His sister left Mississippi a long time ago, moved away to California. But when daddy died, she hopped a jet. She flew to Mississippi and Jackson. She got rented a car, went to their hometown, went to the bank, got the documents, his will out of the safe, got a lawyer, and took her brother to court and sued him for the inheritance. A judge ruled that they had to divide it equally. But that family relationship dissolved forever. In the parable George read, the younger boy spends foolishly a fortune that he'd received. And when the money ran out, so did his friends. And a storm happened Metaphorically speaking, there came a drought. Something unforeseen happened when he was at his most vulnerable. He was alienated. He had no good name and no good place to call home. So the first essential in family matters is repentance. And this younger son, because of the circumstances he was living in, he was living in a pig pen. He was feeding livestock that were forbidden for him to even encounter. He lost all who he was in the far country. The pig pen was no place for his future. And he began to feel that sense of angst and anguish and grief and sadness, and he turns and he said, I must go home. My father has a better place for me. I will go back and I will even work as a servant. I have wondered, though, about this story. Do you think that really, in reality, that this boy was really sorry? Or was he just sad that things didn't turn out his way? Nonetheless, he walks home. He walks that journey, and I've imagined him practicing his speech. Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven. I'm no longer worthy. I'm no longer worthy. He's got that speech memorized. The road towards home and salvation begins with this inward journey for us to discover the true self that God intended for us to be. Not only do we confess and admit our sin, but we acknowledge the harm that our actions have caused. If any of you know anything about the 12-step journey, there's a step 
in which one must pay reparations. One must go and speak the truth about the hurt and the harm that they've caused to other people, family, friends, relationships. You see, the one thing about family that matters is that we experience and practice repentance. The boy goes home, but he discovers that his repentance has been overshadowed by a grace that he couldn't even imagine. The scripture says that the father was waiting for him and he saw them at a distance and he ran towards him. Jesus is telling this story. Remember, there are Pharisees. There are a whole group of people in the room. They understood Jewish culture very well. And when he said the father ran towards the son, everybody in the room ears would have perked up. Jewish fathers didn't run anywhere, especially men of his stature and his ability. This boy would have been brought to the father, but this daddy would have never run towards him. And he embraces his son. Tears. His, I can imagine that boy's face right up against his daddy's chest trying to get his speech out. And, and all the while, the daddy's saying, come bring the robe to my son. Put a, put a ring on his finger. Put shoes on his feet. His whole drama is about reinstating this child, this lost son. And then they have a festival and a feast, which was special, special, special. Howard Thurman, an author and mystic writer, once wrote about this text. I believe that when the prodigal came to himself, he came to the father. For to be a Christian, a man would not be required to stretch himself out of shape, to conform to the demands of his faith. Rather, his faith should make it possible for him to come to himself and find wholeness. My friends, this is not possible without the grace that God gives us that frees us to trust that you and I are made for God. And until we know God deeply, we will never be fully whole. Grace makes God's love and acceptance of us unconditional. And when you and I live gracefully towards one another. When you and I repent of our sin and turn and be reconciled with one another, love flourishes. And families and people and individuals mature into the likeness of God, what we call in Methodist theology, sanctification. But, there's always a but. But in this story, there is another family member. And his contempt and judgment of his younger brother's action overflows when he's asked to join this party for his wayward, no good, worthless brother. It's too much. Why should I forgive him? You ever ask that question? Why should I forgive them? Philip Yancey, who's the author of the book, What's So Amazing About Grace, offers this word. He says, the scandal of forgiveness confronts anyone who agrees to a moral ceasefire when someone says to them, I'm sorry. 
You see, when we feel wrong, we can contrive a hundred reasons why we should forgive the other person. Maybe you've said some of these things or thought them before. They need to learn a lesson. I don't want to encourage bad behavior. She needs to know her consequences have action. Her her actions have consequences. How can I forgive somebody that's not even sorry for what they did? Why should we make the leap as an individual or as a family to forgive? Who forgives us? Who forgives us when we are perpetrators? We are the ones who hurt or say things with our words that hurt sometimes more than sticks and stones. Why do Christians or even unbelievers for that matter choose to forgive from our heart when our head says, hey, that's a bad idea. Don't do that. Well, let me offer you a couple of suggestions why we should forgive. Forgiveness loosens the grip of blame and guilt and shame on an individual. In the New Testament, do you know what the word forgiveness means? Translated into English, it means to hurl away or release. Throw it away. Let it go. How much better would our primary relationships be if that was our practice on a daily basis? How much healthier would our marriages be that when when we get into a conflict that somebody didn't reach back from last week or last month or remember when? You ever heard that? You ever said that? Remember when? When we release our judgment and we offer forgiveness, we set people free. The second thing is that forgiveness loosens the grip of guilt on the one who is at fault. I've done some pretty stupid things since I've been married that I regret. But when she says, I forgive you, and she looks me in the eyes and she says, I forgive you, something good happens. Yancey suggests that when we forgive, we slice away, we cut off the wrong from the person who did the deed. And we give them the chance to be recreated in our memory, and they have the opportunity to be recreated within their own sense of self. Now, don't misunderstand me. Forgiveness is not the same thing as pardon. Justice may well be served, but when forgiveness is injected into the scene, then both parties have the opportunity to receive healing. 
I went to school at Emory. While I was there in seminary, I met a guy who was from Atlanta. In fact, his father was on the faculty. And he married one of our students from Mississippi. And, and instead of staying in Georgia, they came to Mississippi as a clergy couple. And that was back in the 80s when that was kind of a novelty. And, and he was a smart guy. He really was. But she won the preaching award. And she was real pretty. And she had family in Mississippi who'd been in the ministry. So her name got there a lot quicker than his. And I can remember about two years into our life in, in Mississippi as young pastors, we went to a minister's gathering in Jackson, and we were standing in this long line to register our participation, and several of us were talking, and I'd had an exceptionally good week. I hadn't had any funerals in my first little church that I had 39 funerals in in three years. And some good things were going on in our church. And I was young and I was happy and exuberant about what was going on. And some of my other colleagues were sharing. Well, he was just sitting there like this, shaking his head. Well, the next day at one of our lunch breaks, one of my other pastors, Mitchell, said, you need to talk to Bubba. That's not his name, but we'll just say Bubba. It's the South. I said, well, what's wrong? He said, I don't know, but he's upset. And I think you need to go talk to him. So I did. Went over to the place where he was staying. Went in his motel room, sat down. Oh, brother. I don't know what possessed this cat. But for the next hour, he lit into me like I was the cause of the whole world's ills. Now, I'm a perfect golly bum. And, but all the stuff that was coming out of him connected way back while we were in school and all the things that I told you he felt he didn't measure up he didn't know anybody in Mississippi the whole world hated him and it was my fault I should have been this and I should have done that and I should have known well I gotta tell y'all something something happened in the pit of my stomach that just really started getting the best of me and and I left that room that night. I didn't go to worship. I just, I just let it just eat at me. It ate at me. I'd come back to my church family in a Bible study one night. I was telling them about it because we were studying this passage of Scripture. He's 92 years old today, and, and, and here's what he said. He, he said, preacher, you just got to let this thing go. You hear? It's, it's hurting you a lot more than it's hurting him. You just got to let this thing go. I said, Miss Lamar, I just don't think I can. My parents were living in Picayune at the time. And I remembered that for some particular reason, I was going down to visit. And this person lived between where I was and Picayune. And I'll be dadgum, I, I'm not real sure how it happened, but my car showed up in their driveway. And I got out and I said, is Bubba there? And, and his wife said, no, he's counseling somebody, but he, he, you're welcome to stay. I said, well, I need to see him. They had two bratty kids. I sat in their living room for about 20 minutes waiting on him to get finished. And he came out and he looked and he was as surprised to see me as I was to be there. 
He said, you want to go outside? And I thought, yeah. (laughs) And we walked down the sidewalk of the street, and we walked and didn't say anything for probably five minutes. And he turned around, and he looked at me, and he rubbed his foot on the sidewalk, and he said, I'm sorry. We got off on the wrong foot. That was it. We weren't the best of buddies from that day forward. He doesn't live here in Mississippi anymore. But our relationship changed enough that we could be brothers. Not best friends. But we were back in the family. I've known churches in my day to go through those moments where we put up the walls and we say them and us. God's love is bigger than that. Repentance turning away from, from the circumstances and turning towards God's open arms. Grace, which is received and dispensed, and forgiveness are what matters in the family most. Not television's version or definition, but God's. In Jesus, we find a way to live forgiven. And in being forgiven, he makes us able to forgive and find freedom from guilt and shame. And that is a value for every family to embrace and fulfill. It makes love flourish and it heals our weary souls. Because like Tammy sang a few minutes ago, God is the one who is able to look beyond our faults to see our need to be loved, to be accepted. That's what I hope can happen for you today. If you're struggling with something from your past like I have, if there's something in your life right now that's really separating you from people you want to be involved with, or even maybe God, that something's happened in your past that you just can't shake. Let me remind you that our Father runs towards us. He doesn't stay up on the porch. He runs towards us to embrace us, to love us, to heal us, and forgive us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.